0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Governing Chatters, NGA's regular podcast series. My name's Steve Edmonds, and on this episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Nina Sharma. Hi, Nina.
1: Hi, Steve.
0: And Nina, I don't think we've done a podcast together before, so I'm pleased we, we have this opportunity now, and that we have this opportunity to discuss something that we take a close interest in, and I know that many governing boards do. Uh, and that's, that's the role of technology, uh, or tech, if you like. In our, in our schools and, and how it's utilised to benefit what we want to achieve for our, for our children and young people. So lots for us to get into uh, and, and unpick, certainly from a governing perspective, uh, because boards have a role in ensuring that uh, EdTech uh, and the use of EdTech in schools fits, fits our strategy, whether that's for improving teaching and learning or providing a curriculum for the future or, or, or collaborating with, with our communities and building those links. So uh, it's really important uh, that we use tech well in schools and that we make sure as governing boards that it's that the money we spend on on technology is, is invested wisely and and indeed on the right kit uh, and I'm delighted that uh, we're joined by two guests with great insight. Uh, uh, into this topic and and first-hand experience in navigating some of these issues. So welcome, Julie and Al. Al, I'm going to let you introduce yourselves and and say a little bit about yourselves uh, before handing back to Nina uh, for our our conversation on EdTech. So Julie, welcome.
2: Hi, I'm delighted to be here. So I'm Julie Carson. I'm Director of Education at the Woodland Academy Trust, which is a multi-academy trust of four primary schools across Bexley and Kent, with a fifth one opening in September. We serve around 1,800 children and have higher than average PPG at around 49%. We've just been designated as Apple Regional Training Centre for Kent and Bexley. Before taking up my role as Director of Education, I was a head teacher and executive head teacher for over 13 years, originally working in the Northwest. As part of my role, I lead the digital strategy and it's an absolute passion of mine.
0: And welcome Al.
3: Hi there folks, Um, yes hi I'm Al Kingsley, Um, I normally introduce myself as a man of two hats so on the EdTech side 30 years as an EdTech CEO developing solutions for schools around the world. On the school side I'm a multi-academy trust chair, I'm chair of an alternative provision academy, Mm -hmm. also sit on the regional schools director's advisory board for the east of England and alongside that I'm a history in governance, I'm also the author of a new School Governance Handbook, which tries to make some of these topics much simpler and more accessible.
1: Yeah, thank you, Steve. And thank you, Alan, Julie. It's great to have you on this podcast. It's been um, a really exciting topic that Steve uh, Steve and I have been really engaged in um, over the past uh, year or so, um, more so, because it goes without saying that the pandemic has really exacerbated the need for ed tech, and it's really shown sort of the opportunities and the windows it can open in terms of education, teaching, learning, and how it can really amplify people's experiences in education. And I think it goes without saying that um there was a real spotlight placed during the start of COVID and um, that really showed the, just the sheer number of pupils and families who don't have access to technology that didn't have access to wi-fi um to engage in that learning that you know should be a basic right um in my opinion i'll start with you julie so how um have you seen the most impact within your school using EdTech, and and what sort of monitoring um have what sort of monitoring have you put in place
2: Okay, certainly. We've seen it in quite a lot of different places. So, um, we've seen improved collaboration from staff and pupils. So, for instance, staff will come together and work together on particular projects across the Trust. Um, We've collated CPD needs using EdTech as well to create our annual CPD programme. And pupils using applications such as Padlet or Wakelet can share their ideas, making sure all pupils have a voice so no longer is that quiet person who doesn't particularly want to put their hand up, not able to share their thoughts. We've seen improved accessibility. So we use iPads and they can be set for individualised use or the pupils can be taught how to set them for their use. We've got use of reading tools as part of that, which enables children to access their work independently. Translation tools, which we've used for children and families starting school with EAL and then speech to text tools for those children who really struggle getting words onto paper. We've seen improved pedagogy. So conversations have been very much around universal design for learning. So which is a way of thinking about teaching and learning that helps give all students an equal opportunity to succeed, which is far more than just using tech in a lesson. So it's thinking about how is tech used and what is the pedagogical approach of a particular lesson and learning development. We've seen improved assessment. So children can explain their answers easily through voice recordings, so we can understand their thought process and pick up misconceptions. As a teacher, you know where each child is up to during the lesson. Again, being able to dive straight in for the misconceptions rather than waiting to the end of the lesson. We use quizzing tools so that teachers get immediate feedback and can adapt the lesson in response to this quickly. And then children can access feedback more easily. So they don't need to read comments in books. They can listen to verbal comments and then play them back to understand the points being made. We've seen a flexible approach to teaching so it's no longer that traditional model of a teacher standing at the front of the classroom and delivering they can move around the classroom share work from their ipads or from the children's ipads for everybody to see and discuss we can create videos to model things step by step so that children can play them back um you know if they're struggling with long division we create a video they can replay it and replay it and replay it rather than somebody having to explain it kind of five or six times there's more time spent on teaching So we're not having to spend time giving out sheets, sticking in sheets, losing sheets, hunting for lost sheets, and the children can access their learning straight away. It's reduction in teacher workload, so they're able to spend more time on planning and pedagogy because they're no longer standing at the photocopier and making individualised resources. And there's less time on marking and feedback for staff as well, especially around assessments. I think the final thing really is around unleashing creativity. So if you think about some of those traditional teaching and learning approaches, some result in the learning being closed to children um, and you're marking or judging their writing skills rather than their understanding of other um, the parts such as scientific knowledge. So, for instance, we've seen some children be able to record animations or movies around the solar system rather than writing a leaflet. So, we've really understood what the scientific learning is on that point. Our vision is to ignite the spark and reveal the champion, and our use of EdTech is doing just that. So, we're discovering talents in some of our children that we didn't know that they had. So, some are particularly talented at coding or filmmaking, and the same for staff actually as well. They're they're shining when we hadn't realised they had those skills. And I know in discussion with other leaders outside of our trust before the summer, they were worried about the impact on writing. However, we were moderated across all of our schools this year and our writing outcomes are significantly above national averages in key stage one and two. And in one of our schools, the use of tech to support writing was commented on really positively by the external moderators.
1: Yeah, that sounds amazing. And and I guess there's a bit of pressure there for yourself to make sure you're getting it right, right away, not, you know, allowing any room for error in those sorts of situations. So how did you sort of um, ensure that the technology that you were putting into your school was the right one? We did lots
2: of research to start with. So we spoke to other schools who took different approaches. Um, we read research papers around impact, and then we trialled it. So rather than, you know, it's such an expensive resource, Ed tech, we needed to make sure it was right and was going to have the impact. So we started off with a small number of iPads in each school to try to see what was possible. And then when we realised that was the right approach for us, then um, that's when we upscaled and put in the rest of the support.
1: Brilliant. And Al, I'm going to turn to you really quickly, but with your sort of governance perspective as well, um, as your 30 years in ed tech um, outlook, what um, impact have you seen in in using ed tech with the schools that you've been involved in?
3: I suppose the really quick and easy answer is what she said, because Julie's covered so many different strands there. I think the first thing is that, that concept of, you know, from adversity comes strength. And I think when we think about within our trust, one of the first things was naturally there's been an acceleration of a conversation around the role of digital in our schools and where it can have a possible impact. And I think up until a couple of years ago, that was quite a siloed approach. And what we first of all found was we had much more focus and collaboration across our schools and between departments about things that work, things that didn't work. So we first of all really accelerated the role of a digital strategy some call it a digital vision, and some it's just interwoven into stuff that's already ongoing. But what it did was allow us to have a broader conversation with a lot more stakeholders. Uh, and from that we kind of also had the ability from a governance level to ask those kind of key questions what we're we trying to achieve, why are we doing it, and also how are we going to measure its impact? And I think that measure of impact has shifted from purely the student curriculum outcomes to thinking more about well being, time saving, communication, you know home school communication. Within our schools, technology absolutely has really kind of come to the fore. Uh, and I think some of the points Julie made really resonated. One of the biggest ones was actually the the, the flag bearers. Who are the go-to people in our, across our schools that have competence and confidence in certain technology? And actually that unlocked the, the will of other teachers to give stuff a try because they felt there were other resources they could go to. Other than perhaps YouTube, you know, and obviously other resources included, um, but it, it gave people a chance to actually embed more. Now, ironically, for someone who's very passionate about EdTech, one of our strategies was less is more. Don't try and do too many things too quickly. And much like Julie did with dip the toe in the water, see if it actually works before you scale, we tried the same thing. So, as an Office 365 trust, the main trust that I'm chair of, um, for us, we wanted to make sure we really embedded an understanding on the effective use of Teams and onenote and how that could be interwoven and then we started looking at actually capturing across our trust those exemplars both from a curriculum point of view for students and signposting them in a central repository but also starting to build those resources for staff using the technology in place then as we've had more children back in in certain areas if we think right down to our um, eyfs and key stage one children we have a learning journey bus where we use ipads but we use augmented reality resources to actually stimulate creative ideas and feed that into creative writing. We use VR headsets. Um, We use different tools that have allowed the capturing of student progress and activities, both in the classroom, as we would do as part of EYFS, but also during lockdown for parents to capture and share back to the school observations of children's activities. May not have been directly aligned to the curriculum, but it allowed that kind of conduit of communication and feedback. For our older children across our all through or secondary schools within our MAP, um, we saw the role of AI based personalized learning apps that allowed children to develop whether it was their math skills or their science skills and really embed and stretch those more able learners, but take them back a few steps to kind of build some confidence for those otherwise, not to replace teaching and learning, but to complement as another strand. Uh, the communication within the trust, I think, is huge, and I think many uh, trusts will share that actually one of the biggest benefits of technology has been to really improve that conduit between school and parents. And that started with parental training and familiarity with the tools that we use and how they impact. But you know, the anecdotal we'll will all say about how sometimes the online parents evenings have been far better to manage in terms of time, engagement with hard to reach families, but also good for staff well-being in terms of managing that overhead. Um, but that same approach has allowed us to have much greater exposure of what we're doing, the tools we're using and why we're doing them. Um, and I suppose in the context of here today as, as governors and trustees thinking about that oversight, actually bringing the narrative around digital and why we're doing things and, and what we're doing to the table, whereas perhaps previously, it's been a bit of a, you know, an item seven on the agenda that we might get to, or it's been simply wrapped up in a signing off on a policy about, you know, technology or digital privacy and so on. So I think there's been huge areas, but it's absolutely not been a competition to who's doing the most is by association doing the best.
0: Yeah, I think that's really I think that's really interesting that that point you've just made about about governing oversight because I do sense um, that there is a a, a change uh, a changing approach that boards are you know that boards are taking uh, now I think it's more uh, that they are taking a more strategic view it is less oversight and I think there are more strategic conversations about harnessing and unleashing the powers of tech uh, you know to make teaching better. Uh, learning more, engaging and and improving outcomes all all around, as as you say. But I I still think it's probably because governance is a a diverse activity. You know, we we come from all sectors of society and that's what we we want to encourage. Uh, And not all of us, I'd I'd probably include myself in this. I have an interest in tech, but I'm not tech minded. I don't have a tech teaching background uh, either. Um, so I'm not sure I, I, I'm I'm one of those governors or trustees who feels really confident about testing the robustness of of, of tech proposals and 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 uh, tech partners. So have you got any tips for me, someone like me yeah. who really wants to engage but not quite sure at what level?
3: Look at a very high level. I don't think you need to have any technology skills to ask the questions of the what are we doing, why are we doing it, and how are we going to measure impact in the same way. As you can come onto a governing body or a trust board with an experience in finance and still have an active role to play in school improvement how can we help you what are you doing what does that mean why are we doing it that way and I, I think you everybody has a voice to play now we see some of the biggest challenges over the last couple of years have been about how children access technology we've talked about you know the concerns over digital policy parental engagement and how parents can support keeping children safe online the digital citizen am- angle so I think there are, there are a whole raft of questions as a governing body, and particularly as a trust board, because as soon as we start talking digital strategy and that strategic word pops in, well, that's very much the realm of our members and our trustees. We're talking strategically about digital as a lever, but actually our whole school priorities and our trust priorities now might be also focused on staff retention. Well, digital isn't just about purely, although, of course, critically important, having an outcome and a lever on children's outcomes. But it's also about allowing staff to work more effectively, freeing up time, making better visibility of data. So the questions around the technology we use, how do we know it's used effectively? You know, How do we know that's the right choices? How can we assist you? Have we seen any benefits from deployment of this? What's the feedback from staff? Are we happy that our parents understand the technology we use? And then from our personnel safeguarding stream we might be saying how do we know we're taking appropriate steps you know under Kixie and beyond about keeping our children safe with the technology they're using how are we finding if we are time to weave in that digital citizenship as part because that's far more important than the tools to prevent it's to actually educate so i think there's there's a whole raft of questions without having a tech background that governing bodies can be raising and including as part of the conversation hopefully just to be the support and enabler to the leadership team to do what they've already planned
0: yeah and we, we talked about you, you you were talking about there sorry the um, the importance of, of having a you know some more holistic view not just focusing entirely on on, on the, the on unleashing tech in, in the classroom And uh, I I was taken by something that you wrote in in Schools Week uh, this week about uh, from a more broader perspective, and certainly in these in these difficult uh, this difficult financial climate about um, ensuring that more highly effective ways and uh, of of improving our technology use or improving our technology use and making it as effective as it can be. And in that piece, you talked about um, audits uh, conducting a thorough tech audits so I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that and, and I'd like to get Julie's take on that as well about how uh, in, in her trust um, the schools ensures that you're, you're future-proofing what you're doing and you're maximising the, the impact of, of the resource
3: available. Absolutely. Absolutely I mean a brief response is the more efficiently we operate our infrastructure the more money there is in the pot for the important bit of teaching and learning that's the kind of the fundamental. So I always tend to start by saying when you're looking at a digital strategy, you need to look backwards before you look forwards. And in essence, what that means is what technology have we already got? How well is it being used? Have we got loads of devices sitting dusty in a cupboard or could they be relocated somewhere else? Have we got software subscriptions that we're renewing every year? But actually two years ago, we signed up to a different type of solution in the curriculum that could save us money. If we're looking to implement tablets in our classrooms do we know what our current infrastructure is our switches our wi-fi access points have we got the capacity because what we don't want to do is invest on one path and find the infrastructure fails or more importantly have to take a conversation to leadership about i'd like some more of these in the classroom where potentially you could have the evidence of saying well we've been using these for the last year and we know it works well because so I think that reassurance, many teachers will say that they know by instinct, by, you know, ears and eyes, those most important things, what's working well. But the audit of all those devices gives us a sight of knowing which areas we could build on, but also understanding what the upcoming cost implications might be.
0: Yeah. And and, and Julie, what's, you, what's your take on um, assets and devices uh, throughout your trust and how you ensure that that's That those assets and devices are, are, you know, are future-proofed essentially and and doing what you need them to do for your pupils.
2: So yeah, we took a similar approach to Al, and I think the thing for us now is making sure that we're mapping going forward. So we did the audit, we looked at infrastructure, etc, but now because we're going one-to-one, what we've got to be really clear on is there's no point going one-to-one, but then in three years' time we can't afford the next class to be one-to-one, or actually these devices are too old. So we've got a financial plan linked to that to make sure that the affordability um, continues. I think the other aspect as well, um, and it was really interesting what you're saying, Al, before about, you know, the devices that we no longer use. So, some of them, you know, you can resell. So, we've gone through our old devices. So, we have a stock of iPads from probably when they were first brought out that we've, we've looked at, we've resold and reinvested that into our tech as well. So, rather than sitting in a cupboard for, for 15 years or so, which is so easily done, it's actually, is there any residual value left in those? What can we sell them for? How can we make sure that's put back into our, our current position
1: yeah that 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 sounds great and I think there's something really interesting um within all of this I think you know as we grow in a world where you've got social media and it's it's inevitable really that you've got your pupils and young people engaging in this sort of technology regardless of whether it's in your school or not, how you want to develop those people to be a good digital citizen, you know, uh, like day to day in person. But there's a really big thing there. And I was just wondering if you could reflect slightly on it and talk a little bit more about it, about what it means to be a digital citizen and how schools are benefiting the future generation, so to speak
3: absolutely yeah i mean i think it it all starts in the primaries and primary schools are very good at building that awareness and and building the digital leaders often in schools through programs or just as part of that curriculum play but understanding how children can model to other children best practice and behavior how they communicate keeping themselves safe the implications of sharing something online and what that means i think as we get older and we think and i often talk about from a secondary perspective You know, the last few years, we've had these perfect examples, whether it's that B Brexit word or whether it's elections in North America, where we need to actually educate young people about actually the skills to question the validity of information, the source of information, but also to model how they communicate. A term that's often referenced talking about this topic is digital inhibition, which roughly translates to when we communicate online, Many people tend to act in a way very different to the way they might do face to face. So teaching and modeling and understanding around how we communicate online and the bigger implications of data privacy, that ripple effect, the, the concerns those being about digital online bullying. There are so many strands. And of course, things like Kixi give us the guidelines in terms of the tools and measures to put in place to keep our children safe online. But I would always argue the most important tool is education rather than the tool that filters. So, you know, most schools are very aware of this. As always, the usual pressure and challenge is the time to squeeze all these different strands into an ever-growing curriculum breadth. Um, But I think it all starts at primaries, and many are, are absolutely already flying the flag in terms of we add more technology, therefore we've got to add greater emphasis on keeping children safe with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, comes off of that is how you've spoken about engagement with stakeholders as well. I know there's lots of elements that play a part, but Julie, could you sh- sort of share about how your experiences of getting stakeholder buy more so parents um, buy in on te- ed tech, considering you know, things like safeguarding and, and mental health concerns with technology, as well as sort of the educational element of,
2: of that? Yes, so we've involved our parents right from the start of the journey, so right from that first trial we explained to parents what we were doing, we held drop-ins for them to come and have a look, we invited them into the classroom so they could see the benefits of the um, ed tech being used on their children's learning. We did workshops for them as well, so I think one of the barriers with some of our parents was they didn't know how to use an iPad, so you know you straight away have that fear, you were saying Al before about that inhibition as well, if you don't understand it you don't want to use it. It, and then you, you're worried about it so we did workshops right from the basics up to the more kind of complex things about your child's using garage band at the moment let's do a workshop for you so that you can have a go and have those conversations with them um we've signposted to things like our apple store and some of the classes that they put on for children and parents as well which we've had some great involvement in with some of our parents we're very lucky because we're right near blue water actually so um, it's quite easy to access for some of our parents um but also we've involved them in the digital strategy and we've linked that to some of the safeguarding works. We've had safeguarding drop-ins as well specifically linked to edtech so you know if they're particularly worried about you know what their child's seeing online we've um, supported them with how to access support for that barriers to put in place kind of all those boundaries as well because that's something that parents struggle with um, and we've kept them updated with impact as well so you know we've had this trial this has been the impact we're extending this this has been the impact and I think just the passion from the children when you talk to them about edtech as well and they take that home and they see some of the amazing things that they do has really supported our parents in the accessibility side.
0: Do you know that's um, that is so uh, inspiring, really, to to see how uh, you're thinking. You've been you're thinking strategically, and you're taking an approach that that helps parents have that clear understanding of not only what the what the tech is and how it's used, but also the expectations. Uh, that you have of pupils and how you're helping and supporting them to be the best that they can be. And and that engagement can only, you know, can only benefit, can't it? Not just the the pupils, but the wider community as well. But I wanted to go back, uh, Julie, and just ask you about um, the staff uh, in your trust at all levels. Um, because you you, you you spoke earlier about, you know, just the impact that tech has had on them, not in t- not just in terms of reducing their workload, which is something that all of us governing, you know, are very um, much uh, preoccupied by. You know, it's a, it's a big issue for us ensuring that, that staff workload is sustainable, but also building the confidence uh, and, and skills of staff as well. And I think it's well, it, you know, it's well known, it's an established narrative that, uh, within a, a large organisation like a trust or you know a, a school, uh, there will be inevitably differences in, in in staff confidence and capability when it comes to using tech, um, and that's that must be a challenge in terms of structuring and delivering CPD and and, and and ensuring that has the impact. So how do you go about? How have you gone about in a in an organisation with a diverse family of schools tackling that?
2: That's a really good question. So um, right at the beginning, we was mentioning before that you take, you know, one or two things and you work on those. So that's what we started with. We started with a really clear program of CPD. um, And we've had that in place for the last three years where everybody was accessing the same CPD, started working on particular apps, embedded them for one year, working on different apps, embedded them for the next year. And then what we've moved to now, because everybody has had the same basic training, is um, a coaching model. So, we have an um, uh, assistant head for digital who works across the trust and he goes and co-plans with staff and then team teaches with staff, models lessons with staff. So, we've put that investment in there because we know that for the EdTech to work properly, we've got to invest in other aspects, not just the actual devices. So, that then is very much tailored to the needs of individual staff. We've also, I'll mention around digital champions in each schools. So we've got members of staff and pupils who are digital champions. To be honest, the pupils can use the iPads far better than I can. Um, So, you know, their models of good practice so other members of staff can go in and watch them teach. Um, And it always comes back to those conversations around how are you using ed tech to make the learning better? And I think Al mentioned before, it's not using it all the time. You know, you might only use it sort of 30, 40% of the week, but it's about those key children or those key aspects being enhanced. But it has really been around that tailored CPD approach. um, And that's what we've done this year, captured CPD, put in support, worked with an Apple professional learning specialist for key members of staff. But I think that dissemination then of having those really strong practitioners in school to support with that has, has worked particularly well.
0: Yeah, and now and from a governing perspective, I mean, I, I'm sure this is something that you you've stayed across in, in your governing roles when, you, when you've been speaking to staff about uh, CPD generally and, you know, their, their, their own workload and well-being and life in school. How important do you think it is for, for us governing to uh, stay across that aspect of, of the strategy?
3: I think it's key. I mean, I have to say the first thing is I really want to go to Julie's schools because they sound amazing and I love the approach that she's taken. Um, but, you know, it, it, sensibly, I think that the key is we need to recognise that that role of governance, trust leadership is not just about turning up for meetings, but actually in the same way as we would come in and we would observe in a primary school and understand how phonics is being delivered or how we're delivering broader student enrichment, the same applies. The role of EdTech is just another tool in the toolkit, but you need to be embedded as part of that. And I think the most important role we have as overarching leadership in the trust is to be facilitators and enablers. Actually, if you understand, you get involved, you can support. And we talk about the critical friend, but the last couple of years, rightly so, the friends needed to be the dominant factor. But actually by understanding, you can provide better support. So I think when we think about CPD, you know, these are transferable, not just from education, but from any experience that you've got from the business world or any sector, frankly, that if we have an expectation that our strategy is simply built around when you've got time in the evenings, go watch some stuff, go listen to stuff, you know, it's not going to work. And the C is always the bit that gets dropped, the, the continuous part of the professional development when it comes to ed tech. So often we'll get brand new interactive whiteboards and there'll be a training session and on inset day at the start of the academic year and after that you're on your own well actually that just gets you interested but then puts you in that fear zone of i want to try stuff but if it doesn't work where do i go so that concept like julie's explained about really signposting and having that continuous development we just found things like we've got some new whiteboards in one of our schools and we had some training for it why on earth weren't we recording it so staff in all the other schools could access that training at any point? Or why don't we just pick up the phone and invite them, frankly? That joined up thinking in a different way has been really, really important. And the more we can see that and the more we can get positive feedback about how, however small the steps are we're moving in the right direction, then it builds confidence to invest further. And much as there's a risk of surveying our staff to death and they've got plenty of other things to worry about, That regular litmus test of key questions, how confidence levels are with technology, how's it improving, and to to students, I might add, each year you've got a reference point then of whether we're moving in the right direction. And again, I think governors have an obligation to make it clear. This isn't a case of we'll set a date and by this time we must be a digitally amazing school because frankly, I don't know what that word means in that context. But it's about each year we're going to revise and review how well things are going, how we can facilitate and help and have a sense of what we need to plan and it might be we're aligning with a broader let's think of the white paper recently a broader trust plan about expansion and growth we need to get to a critical massive size of, of multi-academy trust well in that context we might be thinking about actually let's add to that strategy about tools that are agnostic and are scalable that would allow easy in- inclusion of another school into our into our ecosystem and so if you're not aware of that, you can't do the broader strategic planning conversations that you need to have at, at school or trust level.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can, I can absolutely see that, and I think that's that is a, such an important part of of um, creating that sort of one organisation mentality and that that you know the feeling of a, that a group of schools are. Are part of something that's bigger than you know them them individual greater than the sum of their parts so to so to speak um and and something occurred to me when you were when you were speaking about uh join up organizational join up and 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 both talking about empowering staff and building confidence uh, and that's the role of tech partners uh in 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 strategy um because that's that's a big decision isn't it that's a big uh, potentially a big procurement decision that, that will that will exercise governors or or something they have to think about carefully um, any thoughts or advice on how uh, a board can look at you know look at a proposal to you, uh, work with a tech partner and and how to go about that that process for, at, at leadership level? I don't know if that question was phrased particularly well, but I think you get the essence of what I'm asking.
3: I get the gist. This should take me no longer than three hours to respond to this. So we're <laughs> all good. Grab your popcorn. Um, yeah, clearly it's a really important strategic decision, a tech partner. And the first thing which is really important is you either investing in technology where it's a transaction. You connect with a vendor, you select a product, you buy it, and thank you very much. In which case, there's the first warning flag. That's not the way we work in education. It should be. We start a relationship because actually a good tech partner is adapting constantly based on the feedback and you can't have the feedback from the school with the relationship and if the partner is the one creating the products it should be shaping the improvements and future features of their products that's a win-win for both parties co-production is is key in education what i always say is when we're looking at big solutions and additions into schools we need to follow i often share a rubric and i won't go into all the steps but basically split into two halves There is the consideration from a technology perspective, and there's a consideration from a curriculum and pedagogy perspective. And of course, it's weighted differently depending on the kind of solution. So from a tech perspective, we're going to be thinking about that technology. How does it align with our current infrastructure, our devices that we use? But also, is it sufficiently agnostic that it would allow us to scale as we look at potentially adding new solutions? We might then be asking about making sure that it, what are the implications on our current infrastructure? Are we making a commitment for some great devices or software or a change of MIS? But actually in doing so, we've got the new hidden cost of our infrastructure. We'll also be thinking about privacy policy, governance. We'll be thinking about whether we're, is this new tech partner based in Mongolia? And does there any considerations about data storage and implications of that? We might also be thinking about that integration. So in America, we often use the term rostering. Here in the UK, we'll be thinking about how we do our student enrolment. Are we joining up to new systems that are going to create another manual level of maintaining student information up to date, given we have often lots of in-year, as often turns out, in-week movement with student cohorts? And then in parallel, we've got that, that pedagogy, that curriculum side, which is, does, does the solutions being offered actually align with our curriculum? Um, have we actually reviewed the content to be appropriate? A big one, which sadly often occurs, is have we not already got something that does this? And if we don't check, we want to make sure that at the very least we unsubscribe from the other one. That's where often hidden costs are. Um, And then the the big one, which is very much the pedagogy at heart, is the the solutions being offered if we're thinking about more specifics. Um, Are we actually clear about its instructional benefit, its purpose? Have we actually had the educators around the table? Now, I ask those questions before we go and spend time on the evaluation process. And then we might be looking at the big hot topic in education, always has been in teaching and learning, but in terms of edtech is evidence. And it's not just that we've got a great shiny brochure that says these solutions will make your school amazing, because that's not really going to be sufficient to convince someone like Julie that they want that solution. It needs to go far beyond that, which is where's where's the evidence, both from an evaluation perspective, from whether it's pedagogy and research-based papers about the impact it has on outcomes, whether it's white papers from other schools. And of course, now we've got this beautiful platform that a growth all the time, as we're doing today. We've got podcasts, we've got webinars, we've got all sorts of events where you can reach out to your PLN and beyond and get firsthand experiences from others. And because time's so valuable, those kind of checks go before you spend too much time actually investing in trialing it and taking up teacher time. And that list is by no means exhaustive, and I'm sure Julie's got others. But those are the kind of the starter the ten that I would be considering.
0: Yeah, I, it feels to me like it, it, it's the bedrock of any great collaboration and partnership, uh, and that is, first and foremost, it has to be a great structural and cultural fit, and then everything then flows flows from that. Um, would you agree with that, that Julie? I mean, I know you've worked closely with tech partners, um, or you know, what have you learned from that experience?
2: I'm so pleased I started with the uh, relationship aspect, because I think that's that's one of the key points. There are so many companies out there who will sell you iPads and then do exactly what you said. I'll just go, right, thanks very much. We've got your money and off you go. So um, we actually started with taking advice from our Apple regional manager because we knew we wanted to go down the Apple route. So he put us in touch with some of the companies who were authorised Apple education specialists. Then we could start to have conversations to check exactly that about whether it fit with our culture, our pedagogical approach. And then we also explored with them um, as to what else they could offer us. So, you know, could they fund Apple professional learning specialists to help us with our journey, for instance? And then in the procurement aspect, we also added in a procurement panel. So it wasn't just on, you know, the technical specifications and the cost of it, but it was around that come and present to us, let us have a conversation, let us unpick what you're actually telling us so that we could understand whether they really were a good fit for us. Um, and I think you know it's also speaking to other people so a bit of due diligence work so there's some great companies out there but actually when you speak to other schools where they've rolled them out um, it's not been as the company have said or they've mainly based in one part of the UK and not in our part of the UK well that's no good for us we need people on the ground who can come in and support us with it not somebody who's based in Northern Ireland for instance
1: yeah and i think from from what you've both said it really sounds like there's a great need for transparency during this process um not only between senior leaders and your tech partner but also through your different stakeholders your pupils your parents and your staff and i think with my um governance hat on me sitting on my board I think one of the things I would be thinking about is what implications does this have you know once it's in place and it's working well that's amazing but just before that when you're getting into those sort of teething areas and and trying to get it all rolled out and and get, get comfortable with everyone um I would probably be thinking about what implication does this have on staff well-being and workload? Um, what sort of um, kind of indicators have you been using to manage that? And how have you kind of overcome any challenges where you've had people come back, your teachers and your staff come back and say, actually, you know, this, this, this isn't helping? Or, or have you had that at all? Has it been quite
2: seamless? It's been quite seamless. I think because we've paced it really slowly, we haven't gone, here's the iPads, off you go, or we haven't gone, here's the iPads, we expect you to be using them in all your lessons straight away. We have done over the last three years, you know focus on one area then move to the next area when that's right then move to the next area so no members of staff are being overwhelmed we have you know done staff questionnaires to capture impact um, and also it, within that it's around workload and time spent on marking for instance and time spent on planning we've also had those on the ground conversations because we're a small trust of four schools and there's a member of staff who particularly leads this who's in every, who's in every school you know frequently then he can to any of that or have conversations and you know the rare occasions a member of staff has said it is because they've really struggled with the implementation of it which is when this, our assistant head for digital has then gone in and has co-planned and co-taught and modeled lessons to really support them so that they're not left on their own so I think we've been the way we structured it we've tried to think about all of the pitfalls before we got to them and then as any have appeared because of our structure, we've been able to support staff with that
1: straight away. Anel, have you found this sort of same reaction um, from from your schools?
3: Yes, I think so. I think the, the key one I always think when we're talking about how we make sure we get everybody on board and we, and we focus about wellbeing and just frankly confidence,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, one of the things is we shouldn't be scared of technology. I think whenever I've started conversations around EdTech. For a lot of people, there's that imposter syndrome. You know, it, It's either the realm of the techie or it's the realm of the teacher. And in reality, these conversations are joined up. There's different strands and different viewpoints. So actually, um, whereas perhaps you might find sometimes there's a, there's a natural persuasion for the, for the IT manager, the network manager to start the conversation in a very technical way. Lots of this is very simple. And actually, if you dumb it down to the simplest components, then everybody can be on board with that. Um, I've always found that actually the more people who are involved in the conversation and the more people that you can actually share uh, the, the, the logic of what we're trying to achieve and why we're doing it, then like any project, you bring people along on the journey rather than surprise them or drag them along with it. And I think that's what leaders always have the biggest challenge is the amount of, of, of signposting and time they can spend to really make sure that everyone feels like they've been listened to and they understand where we're trying to go collectively as a school or a trust. You know and that includes of course you know the, the the parental engagement that understanding the more we get stakeholders it's always going to be a more productive process and that starts I think with governance being very clear to support the leadership with that
0: yeah i I think that's a that's a really important that's a really important message um this is a conversation that we could just continue i think for for hours and hours but um i i think as we but as we draw uh to a close with 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 the time that's available i I wanted to ask you both really if you had any sort of final thoughts on the board from a governing board perspective on on how best to engage uh in this agenda, but also um where you think uh the biggest opportunities will be uh for our schools in the next two three five years looking ahead um to get uh the the best out of tech to uh, and provide sort of transformative solutions whether that's uh to meet challenges or to um achieve strategic objectives because you know the one thing we do know for sure is that you know tech technology is constantly evolving it's constantly changing um and and with that brings opportunity so i wonder if you you know if you've had, if you thought about that and reflected on that so I'll start with you, you, Al, because I can see you're 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 nodding away there. So, I suggest you you might have uh, thought about you know what the next two or three years looks like and what the role we can play as boards.
3: I think across education, we can say the next few years is full of opportunities and full of challenges, and finding the yin and the yang on those two is really difficult. The immediate opportunity, or potentially you could call it risk, is that we lose the muscle memory, we lose that focus around the effective use of digital and slide back to a pre-pandemic position where it's it's an emergency tool rather than naturally interwoven into the fabric of our teaching and learning. I think if we move forward, we can either look at technology as a way to help mitigate through economies of scales and efficiency, some of the operational costs of our schools and multi-academy trusts, and given financial pressures that might help keep a little bit more. I think strategically, one of the biggest challenges we have in our schools and mats. actually staff recruitment and retention and so we are fools if we don't consider how technology can help lighten the load for our teaching workforce and there's lots of examples already being shared today but all of those strands are important when we start building those marginal gains for us as as a trust and then the final bit is absolutely do what we're doing today and and others are doing which is uh, to continue your digital journey don't always just look inwards look outwards listen to others, find out other best practice, other schools that are doing amazing things and do what schools do best, which is share.
0: Indeed, indeed.
3: Julie?
2: I think um, for us, and Al was just mentioning about um, teacher recruitment and retention, the biggest opportunities is about getting into ITT so initial teacher training and sharing what you're doing so that will help with recruitment and we found that we've worked with University of Greenwich so we've had um, more staff apply for any of our roles this year so being able to shape our future generations of teachers is, is really key and I think someone shared with me as well the most dangerous quote in education which is we've always done it that way so it's stopping and thinking about why are we doing it that way? How are we going to change it? What's the best way of impacting? And that's something that governors can really play a key role in as we're moving forward with this.
0: Yeah, what a lovely, what a lovely way to end. And I think what, what I've got from this conversation, more than anything else, it, it, it's just a, you know, a real um, feel for the ambition uh, that, that you both have uh for for the, for the schools that you work with and you're involved in and and for the for the children and young people uh, and the communities the communities that you serve but more than that um how you're uh, thinking about uh, edtech uh in those terms uh you're thinking you know your first your first thought is actually how can how how can we maximize the use of of tech to benefit our pupils our young people Uh, our communities as a first principle and I think it goes back to something you were saying earlier Al about actually for those of us who govern who perhaps feel a little bit daunted by this topic because of the you know the technical aspect of it and uh, the constant change particularly those of us who are a little older uh, I'll put that out there Um, it's it's really great that you brought us you know back into those first back to those first principles and have, uh, have challenged us really to to think strategically about making the most of those opportunities. So I thank you uh both for your time and and for your great insight. It's been it's been wonderful talking to you. Uh it's been great having you with me as well, Nina. Um and, and enjoy let's hope we don't let's hope we don't make this the last podcast we do together. Let's hope we uh, we do another one uh together soon. Um but uh Thanks, thanks, everyone, and, it, and and thank you to everyone uh, listening who, who's joined us. I hope that, uh, if nothing else, we've inspired you at a future Governing Board meeting to open up a conversation about uh, how your schools and trusts are using technology uh, and making the most of it uh, for, and for what we want for our children and young people. So thanks for joining us on Governing Chatters, and we look forward to joining you again soon. Bye.